0: Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today we are joined by journalist and sociology professor, author, and advocate Shanita Hubbard. Shanita is here to talk with us about her work and her new book, Ride or Die: A Feminist Manifesto for the Well-Being of Black Women. Shanita's a former therapist, and she teaches in Toronto and is the chair of the Freelance Task Force for the National Association of Black Journalists. She's also a Soros Fellow and was awarded the Baldwin Writers Residency Fellowship in 2020. We talk about Black women's erasure and culture, why she hates this idea of Black women saving the world, and then, of course, we talk about the many books that have shaped Shanita's life. Our March book club pick is the essay collection, Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. Shanita will be back on March 29th for our discussion of the book. Quick reminder, everything we talk about on each episode of the show can be found in the link in the show notes. If you love the show and you want more access to it, please go to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the stacks pack. When you join, you get bonus episodes of the podcast like this month's conversation where I begged Mr. Stacks to join me. You get access to the Discord, which is full of the best bookish chatter around, and you get to come to our monthly virtual book club. Plus, you get discounts on merch. You get shout-outs on the show. Basically, it's the best place to be if you are a book lover. And what's more, joining the Stacks Pack makes it possible for me to make this show every single week. So please, 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 if you're able, head to patreon.com slash stacks and join. A special shout-out to our newest members of the Stacks Pack, Jill Lehman, Sherry Richmond, Emma, Meg Shaughnessy, Vela Lavelle, Eric Tuli, Chelsea Scuhera, and Mike Naple. Thank you all so much, and thank you to the entire Stacks Pack. All right, now it's time for my conversation with Shanita Hubbard. All right, y'all. I'm so excited to welcome our March guest to The Stacks. She is a writer, a professor, a smart ass woman. Her name is Shanita Hubbard. Her new book is called Ride or Die, A Feminist Manifesto for the Wellbeing of Black Women.
1: Shanita, welcome to The Stacks. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I feel like I just got invited to the cool kids table. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Uh
0: (laughs) <laughs> that's hilarious um we're not that we're a bunch of nerds over here but you know what being nerdy is cool it's very um, cool I feel from one nerd to another yes <laughs> <laughs> for folks who are not familiar with you or just for me to tell me tell us about yourself I mean we know a little bit about your work but where'd you grow up how did you come to this work give us a little bit of your your story
1: Sure. Yes, I am. Listen, you can read the professional accolades anywhere, right? But I'm just still (laughs) a regular, regular girl from Yonkers, from the hood in Yonkers. That's where I grew up. Um, So I lived in Yonkers all my life. And I went, until I moved to, I went to an HBCU in the South, in South Carolina, changed my life. Ow, shout out team, HBCU. I am the mom of an incredible, amazing, dope Black girl. And I swear, like, she just makes my life just better just by existing. And, um, I love writing, um, and also love, love, love centering us in my work. Like nothing, it bring, no professional assignments brings me greater joy than to center us, my community, black people, black women. So that's my thing. I'm here and I'm excited to be here guys.
0: I love it. I love it so much. I love, I love that you love your daughter so much. It's so sweet. I have twin boys and we're not really in that phase right now because they're three years old and they're driving me crazy. Um, (laughs) but I hope soon to love them again. I hope soon that they brighten my day and don't give me anxiety.
1: (laughs) Tracy, please enjoy that stage. My baby's about to be a teenager in a few weeks and I miss that age. Even I swear, I enjoy every second of it.
0: I'm trying. It's just really hard when you're getting, you know, Legos jammed up your nose. Girl, <laughs> listen. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know you know. I'm <laughs> obsessed with your Yonkers accent. I'm sure people tell you that all the time. I lived in New York for a while, so hearing New York is just makes me so happy. It makes me smile so big. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed your book. I feel like what you're doing in Ride or Die is super interesting because you're pushing you're pushing. I think a lot of the book is pushing back, right? Like, I feel like you've done so much work with black women and feminism. And I feel like from the re- my read that I got of it is like, you're sort of tired of a lot of the things that you keep hearing and seeing and the erasure that you keep experiencing. And this book sort of feels like pushing against those like typical narratives. Yeah. Does that feel
1: right to you? As the kids would say I feel so seen Tracy That's exactly right (laughs) That is exactly right What I wanted to do is um, For those who have not yet Read the book I use hip hop As like a conversation As an entry point To a conversation About larger issues That are specific To black womanhood Right I'm like The first chapter Is all about Let's defund The ride or die Industrial complex Let's burn it to the ground Mm -hmm. We are done We're not doing this We're riding for ourselves We're showing up for ourselves And then the other chapters are areas that I want us to focus on and it's with hip-hop and if anyone is a hip-hop head you know that it we it's ours right it started as a way to amplify the voices of marginalized communities but still within that genre there are marginalized voices within marginalized voices so I wanted to flip the script and push back exactly like you said and use you know and and use this culture use this music to amplify voices that are typically muted even sometimes within hip hop.
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting you talk about in the, the, I think it's the second or third essay about the corner, about like how, you know, there's so many songs and so many cultural moments for black men on the corner. And it's like this uplifting space and it's this communal space and it's where deals get done and it's where friendships are made and bonds are held. And, you know, all of that vengeance takes place. It's like such a powerful place for black men. And you talk about how for black women, it's not, Necessarily that. Sometimes it's where sexual violence takes place. Sometimes it's where, you know, young girls become women in a sense because of the catcalling and the sexual, you know, harassment. And you have this line where you talk about black women need to be included in these spaces because when we're erased, it's exactly like what white culture did to black folks that made hip hop come about. Like the hip hop was this response and this pushback. And when women, black women are excluded from these spaces, uh, that, that it's the same sort of thing happening where black men are becoming the dominant culture that's excluding us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that we're starting there. That's actually one of my favorite chapters, right? So, I, and I'm not even saying that I want them to, like, I have no um, no goals of like hanging out on a corner, or hanging on a block. That's not my, my goal, right? But we are still, a lot of us, have to walk by those corners. So what I wanted, I love, yeah. I love Comet, I love, you know, the song the corners and the videos, but he did a wonderful job of showing a universal experience, right? Because he's from the Midwest, so, but still, this experience was so universal that, you know, Black men all over connected to exactly what you said, what happens there. But for a lot of young Black girls, it is exactly like you said, it is the place where we experience sexual violence for the first time without, this is, you know, Without even having the language, it is the, just walking by those corners. I remember, and I wrote about this in a book, being 12 years old and these really grown men, you know, grabbing my ass and, you know, just tr- men that knew me, just like trying to holler at me, like right. chasing me, like all these things that I completely normalized. It just became part of what happens when I walk on a block, whether it's going to my aunt's house or the friend on my friend's house. And those experiences stayed with me. So when I say, I want us to be included. I mean in those narratives like when communists talking about what happens on corners, expand that a bit, right? Let's tell the truth. Let's widen the lens and talk about what happens to black girls on these corners. Let's talk about and how that stays with us our lives. I don't know, I feel so old, right? Because this I some of my students never even heard of this song, but I can like quote the video. Like I, but I remember there's a <laughs> there's a scene in the video and it's so Accidentally perfect, right? So, con- the 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 scene is these these young black girls who look maybe about twelve years old. They're walking out of school because it's after school and they're getting dismissed. And that as they start to walk out of the school and they're about to walk down the street, the camera pans away from them, and we never get to see what happens on their walk home. We never get to see what their experience is like on a corner. And that was such an unintentional capture of what Eraser is because black. Young black and brown girls are having these experiences on the corners, but we're not capturing them in hip hop and we're not talking about them collectively. And this is really important. This is not like, oh, you know, this is not like I want to be I want you to talk about us in your barbershops. No, you can keep that. Right. But there's real life things that happened to us when we were younger and a lot of us just completely normalized it. And I want him to like broaden the lens literally and figuratively to include us.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think what you said about the barbershop part is what really stuck out to me in the reading because I sort of had that moment of like, well, this just like isn't a space for black women. And then I was like, then you said, actually, we walk down the street too. It's not a private location. The corner isn't your friend's house, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not your barbershop. The corner is the corner. Mm -hmm. Like it's outside. It's a public property. So women are gonna be there whether or not like you have you think that it's a woman's space and I think that for me that was like right of course I know that but I didn't it never had dawned on me that like the, the erasure has been so intense that it didn't even dawn on me that
1: like we're allowed to be on corners too yes, we're allowed to walk down the street right we are these are our, and, and yeah. we are too this is our spaces too <laughs>
0: Yeah, I have to ask you. This is this wasn't originally on my questions, but it just popped into my head. What did you think of the Grammys 50 Years of Hip Hop? What do you call it? Like review that they did.
1: Oh, the tribute. I didn't see a lot of it. Um, but from what I What? I, I could I know, <laughs> Tracy. Uh, listen, guys, I'm staying in an Airbnb right now because my pipes broke and my house has to be oh, no. repaired. So sometimes this Wi-Fi causes me to like not even have freaking cable or TV over here. So I didn't even see the whole thing. I I'm sorry. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> well, I thought
0: it was great. I had a great time. But oh, no. I just was thinking you're, you're the expert. Um, Okay, in your book, you do your book is sort of memoir, but it's also got like a lot of theory and history and sort of like academic ideas in it. And I was thinking I was curious about how you approach kind of weaving both the memoir and the more like, I don't know, when you would call the other stuff but how you mix the <laughs> memoir with the like more vetted uh, cultural data type
1: stuff Uh, the genre blending came so natural to me because it's I wanted the book to feel like brunch with Shanita like Tracy if you and I went to like brunch right and maybe bottomless mimosas was flowing maybe somebody popped an edible we can go from Kiki in right and then we can also in that same conversation we can be laughing and joking and I can also share with you some things that's on my mind like hey I'm kind of stressed out because my daughter's not getting the support she needs from school and then I'll have to interject why this is a big deal and I'll break down the adultification of black girlhood right the adultification of black girls Mm -hmm. and how they are seen as you know adults when they're still children and how that and and what that looks like for them in schools and then we can flip and then one of my favorite songs to come on like Meg or (laughs) Cardi B or just anything and then I gotta pause because you know now I gotta freestyle and (laughs) then we could go back to just regular (laughs) talking and because that's who I am like I am all I'm just Shanita, who's also a professor, who's also well read, who's also a mom. So you get all of this whenever you experience me. So that's what I wanted my book to feel like too. I wanted it to be that. And right? And we are all so multifaceted, right? We can we can watch right. versus and be arguing over if dipset is better than the locks, but then we could also talk about right. our favorite Audrey Lord quotes, right? So we are so black right. women, we are so dope layered and multifaceted, and that's what I wanted to give us.
0: Yeah. And I feel like uh, when we were talking about what books to do, uh, I threw out a handful. And one of the ones I threw out was Thick by Tracy McMillan Cottum, And another one I threw out Uh, that we didn't do is Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. And then we picked Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. But I think, you know, the reason that those women really stood out to me as people that I would want to talk about with you is because I feel like the best black women who are writing about being black women are doing what you're describing, right? Where they're taking, you know, they're they're academics, they're they're well-learned women, and they're a good hang, they're funny, they know about pop culture just as much as they know about census data. And like- to me, I think that just shows, it, you know, you all are examples of like what brilliant Black women we have thinking and writing today. And I just, I, I, it's one of my favorite genres are like these essay collections, like you've written and like the ones I mentioned because they're just they're thrilling to read, you know.
1: Thank you. That's such a high. First of all, anytime you just mention me with like a Ro- Roxy and Gay, that's that's such a high compliment. <laughs> and and I think honestly, Tracy is like. I, we deserve to, and we, to show up at our full selves in every space. Yeah. Yes, at work, but also in our work, right? As content creators, yeah. like it's perfectly fine for me to write for us, for me to write, you know, to, to my specific demographic. And I love that. I love right. that in literature. And I want us all to completely show up as our full selves.
0: But I I even more like than than that, I feel like it's a thing that black women are doing, because, as you know, I read a ton of authors and I read very diversely and I love essay collections. And like I'm not seeing this same kind of like almost it feels effortless, though I know it's not this effortless weaving of the personal and the pop cultural and the academic in other, like, groups. Like, it seems to be this thing that's becoming, like, the voice of Black women is this skill to, like, weave so well and, like, to really lean into the pop culture. I don't know why. Maybe it has something to do with, like, wanting to be able to be read in as many spaces as possible, you know, and to be received because so many doors have been closed in our faces for so long. But it's something that I feel like has become part of the fabric of current Black women literature and 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 I love it here.
1: <laughs> I love it here, and that's such a brilliant observation. I think honestly, a lot of us are tapping into our, our mother, our mother Tony. Right? Um, she right. Tony Morrison said, you know, she. I remember. her in an interview one time and she was like she wants to write a book where she's not where there are no little notes for white people right she's not explaining anything Mm. so I think there's a black woman especially of a certain age like if you're above I want to say 35 there is a level of freedom that we operate in right this touch this freedom to just show up and just be exactly who we are because this is and I don't want to sound redundant but like this this is really who we are like Honey, like, and I'm swear, like, yeah. on a given weekend, I can go from, oh, wow, such and such just came home from prison, and then Block is about to have a barbecue for him. Come through, bet I'm there. And then the following week, I'm pulling up because I'm going to my Soros conference because I'm also a Soros Justice Fellow. But I have to squeeze that in between um, me coming back from Paris because I'm a James Baldwin Fellow, but I'm still the same person in every right. single space. And I love this for us. I love that we are not trying to capitulate. In to anyone else's standards I love that we are just the, one of the things I notice about this my generation this new influx of writers is that we're not trying to sound like anyone else and I think that is fantastic.
0: yeah, I do too. I think it's fantastic because it it makes there's so much space for all of our books mm-hmm. and they feel different you know like there's definitely certain groups of people where I'll read a book and I'm like, okay feel like i've done this yeah like, all the books feel the same or like they're aspiring to a certain kind of voice and i don't i don't feel like that is true for a lot of the black women who are writing you know non-fiction memoir sort of com- combo books like i mean there's so many i can think of i just named those those four but there's just so many Girl, of them and they're so
1: good can i tell you some uh, can we since we have brunch, uh, brunch right now can we pretend that we are on like the yeah. third bottomless mimosa if you're seeing like a, if you are enjoying like the this new influx of black writers cuz I'm not even new right but there's just more out right now right from black women yeah. It's because we're fighting like hell behind the scenes to be able to tell these stories because yeah. the publishing industry, as you know, is very formulaic, right? Mm-hmm. If this is what worked, right, mm-hmm. they want you to stick to this formula because this is how Tony Easy Cole sold and this is how such and such sold and this is how this and uh, uh, maybe some other even white people sold because and they really push for you to kind of replicate a pre-existing and formula. And a lot of them really push to, for you to write a book that also speaks to white people, right? They will say things like we need to have really inclusive language or we need to make sure the readers understand. I had to tell people all oh, my readers understand what this means. I write for people that understand yeah. when ratchet was a ratchet and, and not just, you know, right. <laughs> right. So a lot of this is because we're fighting like hell behind the scenes to be this free and it is not coming easy, honey.
0: Isn't that the fucking statement of the year for black women Girl. for whatever you see, we're fighting like hell to get here. I mean, I just got off the most frustrating phone call, which we don't have to talk about, but it was a thing of me being like, wow, you wanted X, Y, and Z. It would have been wonderful if you'd communicated that with me because I know you've communicated that with the 95 white girls Mm -hmm. that you work with. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so true. And and like and then this is the other thing that comes up so much in your book is this idea of respectability politics. Right. Like it's not just that we're fighting to tell these stories or to get access or to be seen or to be to be deemed worthy by the powers that be in white social structures and, and professional structures, but also that if we want to show up fully as ourselves, we're we're told that we're too much, or too loud, or too sexual, or too mean, or too mm-hmm. you know too whatever. And I feel like in your book, you I mean in the Lauren Hill chapter, I, I mean it's it's every chapter. I I think you're <laughs> pushing up against respectability politics. So I'd love to hear sort of like how do you deal with. Wanting to be accepted so that you have the ability to do your work and have people read it with the request that you do less or be less or do it in a certain way or, you know, get right within or whatever Lauren Hill says, you know,
1: Mm -hmm. that is a that is a really good question. One of the things that because I am and honestly, I think we all every single day, just like you have to like take showers and brush your teeth, right? White supremacy is so etched into the fabric of our being, into our existence, into this world, into this air, that if we're not actively rejecting it, we're perpetuating it. And respectability mm-hmm. politics is nothing, is really, it's just a byproduct of white supremacy because it's saying, behave like this. So this, this dominant culture can respect you better, right? So, every, so we have to, myself, I have to constantly... I had to do it far, I had to do it less now, but I definitely was in a stage where I had to really be honest with myself and constantly reject that. Like, why am I afraid of using this language when it's really what I want to say? Then who am I really speaking to? Then who am I really writing for, right? So these are the things that I have that are sent to me and that guide me. And not even in this book, like, but just with, with everything. And I know in publishing, right, it's, it kind of mirrors the record industry. I remember um, if you listen to any documentary or any artist, they will tell you that a lot of times labels will be like, give us the commercial box, give us that hit, and then you can write whatever thing, whatever you want, or whatever. But what happens mm-hmm. is you start to get stuck in that. Right. I just think about I'm an hip- right. old school hip hop head. Like remember when the locks came out wearing shiny suits because Diddy said that's what's gonna sell. And baby girl, right, right. that is absolutely <laughs> not who they are. Them N words right. are from the hood. They're from my block. They are not some shiny suit wearing Negroes, but this is what they wore. So they had to then fight to get out of that box so that they could be free. Baby, I'm not fighting for my freedom. Like, I'm just not letting you put me in a box. You're not putting me in a proverbial Mm -hmm. shiny suit. Like, you're just not doing this to me because I genuinely believe that what is for me is for me. Right. And in terms of writing and success, like my core audience, the people that I'm writing for, they will get it and it will happen. And I don't want to do it in a shiny suit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that um, you made me think about was this idea that like black women are here to save everyone else or that mm. it's our job. And like, I'm, I'm really curious about how you feel about that refrain, especially I'm thinking about like in politics when it comes up every time Georgia has an election Ooh. and how Stacey Abrams is like some sort of hero to mm. America because she's delivered a victory in some way. And, and, you know, that's where I feel like we see it the most, though we do see it in other spaces. But this like sort of cultural collective praise of Black women in situations where everyone else has decided that it's okay for themselves to be morally bankrupt. But thank God that Black women saved us, even though 53 percent of white women voted X, Y and Z.
1: Girl, girl, listen, listen. So (laughs) my premise of ride or die, right? It's not just You know, we're not talking about, I'm not writing about just in relationship aspects. I'm talking about how the whole world expects us to ride until we die and and for people that wouldn't even stand up for us. So it is not by any stretch of the imagination a compliment to be like, you know, black women, we can save everything. You know, yes, you can do it. Just give it to black women, they can fix it, baby. We are not your magical Negroes that show up to clean up messes that we did not fix. Just because we are capable does not mean now we I, I hate where I and you see this in nonprofit a lot and you see this in corporate where your competence is rewarded with more work. It's never oh wow, Tracy, you did this amazing. Let me cut you the six figure bonus check. It's typically Tracy, you did this amazing. Can you take this on too? Right. And that's how the world yeah. treats us. You did this fantastic. Can you fix this too? No, 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 baby. I want this stuff to come with financial compensation. I want this to come with rewards and not more labor. And, and this whole leave it to black women. We can do it. We can save the world. We got this. That is really neck. That's the, the, the cousin to that sentence where, like, I hate this thing where, We get so excited to be invited to the table that we damn near eat whatever is served and we forget that this damn table is incomplete without us. So people so this whole we can let us save the world narrative and we're excited about it. Baby, you're getting excited about labor. You're getting excited about rescuing people who will not compensate you with leadership, with with excess wealth, will not compensate you in a way that, you know, they would anyone else. We are not mules of the world. And I'll be damned if I'm going to take on that labor or I'm going to allow anyone to celebrate me for being a damn mule. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, it. It's one of those things every time I hear it it makes my stomach just sort of like do a little flip right I'm just like Ugh, enough enough yes enough is- like mm-hmm. I I don't I don't want to be cel- I, I it's also like you're celebrating black women doing what we've been doing because everyone else decided that they didn't have to do it right like mm-hmm. it's never like let's celebrate black women for like going to the grocery store, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, let's celebrate black women for saving democracy or like making sure we all have the right to go outside. It's like, okay, why is this falling to us? Like, why is this my responsibility? I've been voting my conscience and it's only when it's close and it matters to other people. And like, it's like, oh, so we're the last resort because you all can't live Mm -hmm. up to your own your own ideas and i think that for me is where i'm just like okay well if you if you just voted blue or whatever like
1: then I, you wouldn't meet me right there's way more of y'all <laughs> honestly Tracy and it's also really manipulative right so you're the mom of of two twins right I remember do I know you do this strategy with your with your kids because I used to do it with my daughter until it stopped working when I want her to let's say I'm sitting in a living room and I want her to go all the way to the kitchen and get me a bottle of water but I don't feel like getting up so I'll say to her baby I bet you you are super so fast you can go get mommy's water in like 10 (laughs) seconds mommy's gonna count and she's like okay I bet you can beat your record from last time okay start counting." I'm like, go. And then she takes <laughs> off running. She gets the water. That's almost what they do to us. Like, oh, I bet you can yeah. save America from itself, even though we treat you like shit and we're still going to do this again in another four years. I bet you can do it. Let right. me count. Let me see you go. It's really manipulative. Right. Right. And it's just also just like, if you just did it, like if you just voted yes.
0: the way that you want me to vote mm-hmm. and got your little friends to do that, then we wouldn't have this
1: problem because like, we're they su- don't actually, want to actually such a small friends. part of the voting block because they don't want to do the labor. <laughs> they don't want to go out and talk to their yeah. friends. They don't want to go knocking door to door. They want to gas us up to run to the kitchen and get the water while they count. That's what they want. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Ugh. OK, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com thestacks the stacks. That's drinkag1.com thestacks the stacks. Check it out. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's noo dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Okay, we're back. Um, we're transitioning to books now because we have to talk about the books that you love to read. But before we do, we do a thing every week called Ask the Stacks where somebody, or every month, and where somebody writes in and they they ask a question for book recommendations and then you and I are going to give it to them. So I'll read the question and then you can come up with one or two or three or whatever you want. Sure. So this comes from Caitlin. I hope you, I don't know if you listen to audiobooks, but that's what this question is about. So good luck. Uh, I'm looking for great nonfiction or possibly fiction to listen to while I work out. Something compulsive that makes me want to go out just, oh, sorry something compulsive that makes me want to go work out just so I can listen more i've recently loved patrick raden Keefe's empire of pain and say nothing and bad blood and furious hours um do you listen to audiobooks Shanita?
1: i don't listen to audiobooks but if i did like for this there's this book i'm looking for and it's it's called the body liberation project have you heard of it I think that I have. Chrissy King, right? So she's talking about yeah. like Bali politics from what I'm just started the book, right? But from right now, it looks like she's talking about like, it's not this typical local, you know, like, let's lose weight. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So it's really is. She's talking about the intersection of, like, white supremacy, obesity, um, and beauty identity politics. And it's really brilliant. So, I'm honestly, if I was to listen to an audiobook, especially if I was looking for something for the gym, not because that would gas mm. me to go harder, right? Because I would just, like, it's so brilliant that it, your mind would just be so wrapped up in it. Next thing you know, you finish your 35 minutes on a treadmill. So she's, it's actually. Oh, my re- God, I love it. Yeah, She's
0: really smart. Okay. I actually have that book. I gotta go dig it out of one of my stacks and check it out
1: <laughs> Okay, Caitlin,
0: here are my recommendations. I have listened to all of these on audiobook and they're all really good. I tried to give you a range. Um, the first one, because you mentioned how much you like Patrick Keefe, his essay collection, Rogues, fantastic. Highly recommend. They're essays and they're about an hour each. So it's perfect for the gym for like an hour workout or something. Um, the next one is The Faraway Brothers, which is this not an investigative journalism about these two, these twin boys who uh, I believe are from El Salvador and they come to America and it's their story of like going to school, high school in Oakland, which is where I'm from. So obviously I like the book just because of that, but it's really well researched. And the woman who wrote it, Lauren Markham, she makes an appearance in the book. I believe she's maybe a guidance counselor at this school. Um, but it's a really interesting story about uh, people who are coming to America without documentation and and what that looks like, especially when they're children and they're coming alone without their parents. Um, and then the last one is one of my favorite sort of books. A, a male counterpart to ride or die, I would say is the book called stakes is high by Michael Denzel Smith. Um, I, I recommended him. the audiobook a million times. Oh my God. It's so good. Have you read this one?
1: No, but I read his, his, his first book and I, and I follow his work. He's so good. I got to get that one.
0: He's so good. You have to get it. It's so good. I've, I've listened to it on audio twice now. I like really love it. It's super short. Um, and it's sort of his reckoning with what happened in the 2016 election, which the further I get away from the election, the more, impressive this book is that i'm like holy shit it stands it's not a 2016 book at all Mm. it's really like a much bigger book and it talks about like what it means to be american and be black because even though we don't like black folks might not always agree with a lot of american stuff like there is power and there is privilege in being american and that means we also have to stand behind in some ways the election of trump and like reckon with Things that happened in our name, even if we don't agree with them in the same way that we expect, you know, white conservatives to reckon with Obama being elected when they don't agree with that. And like that there is some conversation kind of to be had about our responsibility to ourselves as Americans and to our blackness as black people. And it's really good and interesting. So those would be my three recommendations. And Caitlin, if you read them, let us know. And everyone else, email askthestacks at thestackspodcast.com to get your book recommendation read on the air. Okay. Shanita's books. Here we go. Tell me about two books you love and one book you hate.
1: Hmm. Oh, my gosh. Just two books. This is hard. OK. Heavy by we're Ke-
0: starting here. There's way more books we're going to talk about. Okay. Don't
1: worry. <laughs> so um, when chicken heads come home to roost by Dr. Ugh. John Morgan. Oh, my gosh, girl. When I tell you that book split me open and with- held up a mirror and showed me some things inside of me that I did not like. Honey. Yeah. So that's a classic. I almost
0: suggested that as for us to do on the book, book club. But then I was like, I bet she already knows that book way too well and loves it way too much.
1: <laughs> I know. But listen, you can always suggest that to me for us to do because I love, that's that's what, that is just freaking classic. So that and then Heavy by Kiese. Like his writing is so Ugh. beautiful. I have to read his book at least twice. Like once for the story and once to just fangirl out about the writing. Like that's my writer crush. We are, We go together in my head. We're in a very committed relationship. He, he does yeah. in my head.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. What about a book you hate?
1: It, I don't even I don't even know it's fair to say that I hate a book that I haven't even read yet, but there's this book. I hate the premise of it. Um, can I say it? <laughs> Is that okay? You can say it.
0: You haven't read it, so you don't actually okay. know if it's bad. You just I hate don't the know idea if it's bad. It.
1: I hate the idea of April Ryan's book, right? Black women will save the world. The 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 the, right. Okay, I love that is an attempt, if you know, to celebrate us and how capable we are. However, I hate everything about assigning us the responsibility of cleaning up something we didn't fuck up, right? I hate the idea of you know celebrating the fact that the world looks at us like a mule. Like that is not something worthy Mm -hmm. of celebration. I don't want black women to save the world. I want us to save ourselves. I want us to show up for ourselves. I want us to be. You know, of course out into our family and our community. But with the, repons- the responsibility to be these rescuers for the world is a hard pass for me. I think, and again, <laughs> I, that's just the premise. She could be going in a whole different direction. I just can't bring myself to like crack that open and read a word of it. I, would be, I can't do it. And yeah, so I want I somebody that. to tell me, I want somebody that read it and I'm wrong. I will be like, I'm so sorry. And I will buy multiple copies. But if, if, if I'm wrong. Okay, okay,
0: people, if you've read it, let us know if it's any good. We have our doubts. Um, what is the last great book that you've read?
1: Um The Movement Made Us by David Dennis Jr.
0: Ugh, oh so good. So that good. book is so good. Didn't it make you just like want to know his dad? so badly Um, like i just wanted to know david dennis senior
1: that he that's actually my one of my friends and he probably thinks i'm joking when i'm like oh i want to come to your book event so i can fangirl over your dad like not to sound like a groupie but Mm -hmm. i absolutely just want to just know him more i want to talk to him more all of it it was just amazing
0: what are some books that you're looking forward to reading and it can be either books that are coming out soon or it can be books that are on your shelves that you just haven't
1: gotten to yet Hmm. I got like a gazillion books on my shelf that I haven't gotten to yet. So hmm. I'm actually, I want to do some rereads. Like, um, I want to like, um, to pull out some more Audrey Lords books, right? I want to sit with. Some more Bell Hooks books. I think it was all about love. Like, I really want to sit with that. I remember, like, when I was first introduced to Bell, she's brilliant. God bless her. Um, may she rest in peace. But I remember that wasn't my entry into Black feminism because at the time it felt too heavy for me. It was like, can I get like a 101 version of this? Like, is, is there a freshman level? So I want to actually like really reread it from a different perspective. Like I'm going to live some life. I'm a grown up. I'm a woman. I'm a mom and all these other things. So I want to spend more time with Bell Hooks. I want to revisit more Audre Lorde. And yes, I want to do some revisits and finish up the current book that I'm reading.
0: You said that that wasn't your intro to to this feminist thinking and stuff. What was your intro?
1: It was um, Dr. Joan Morgan like that she okay. when Chicken heads came out like she spoke to me in a way that I got like it was just like mm-hmm. you know it was it was brilliant right like for example um a chapter that I can still this book came out in the freaking 90s and I still remember like yeah. the, the first time I I think I, it was like 99 mm-hmm, I remember the first time I read Chickenhead envy. Right. So she was sharing um, pieces of herself. She was talking about being incredibly jealous of a woman that she felt like was a chickenhead because, um, you know, she got in the man or I think the the guy she was with maybe cheated on her with her. And I remember and oh, my gosh, when I say that that held up a mirror, because I remembered it was a stage where if. I just, you know, there was women who I felt at that stage in my life. I'm, I'm better than her. How is it that she can get, you know, this, her man to do A, B, C, and D? And oh my gosh, is really feeling like I'm better than this quote unquote chicken head. So I'm really envious of what this black woman is being, is receiving because I feel like I'm more deserving than she is. And that is something that I didn't even. Have language for that's something that I didn't even reckon that I didn't even realize that was in myself. I was so she checked the hell out of me, right? So that is such a I mean, it was just it was brilliant. It was just like, oh my god, girl, it was me in my my room by myself, embarrassed reading that book.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. I love when books do that where you're just like, whoa, I need a mirror. Like, what am I doing Mm -hmm. here? How do you decide what you're going to read next? Like, do you use the New York Times? Do you use friend suggestions? Is there websites or or bookstores or people that you rely on to help you? Or do you just sort of have a stack that you just keep building from randomly?
1: I am such a nerd. Like, all of my friends are, well, not all of them, but, like, my close friends are writers. So, I'm always, like, fangirling, mm-hmm. like, over their stuff. Like, I have friends, people that I rock with for real, like, they got actual books out. So, I'm reading my friends' work. And then I'm following, like, my social media accounts, I'm following things like, you know, the stats. So, I'm like, oh, Tracy got, you know, you posted this book. This sounds dope. Okay. So, I I don't, <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever, I can't even remember the last time I've read a book of review for like the New York Times or something like that, or any, any mainstream media outlet that gave me a recommendation. I was like, okay, bet. They literally always come from me following like ind- independent media outlets like yourself or friend suggestions and y'all posting all of these books. And I'm like, oh, this is dope. This is okay. And that serves me well because I am always finding out about, you know, like really dope books.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. That makes me so happy. Uh, <laughs> what's a book that you like to recommend to people?
1: Um... Uh, chicken heads but I've also got a new book to recommend to people so I'm reading I know you know what it is black woman writers at work oh yes okay you're liking it girl yeah featuring Maya Angelou Gwendolyn Brooks Nikki Giovanni like I'm always recommending that and also I always recommend to and I try to do this myself read other genres right it really helps you to hone your own craft and for me I do I try to read more I'm now I'm reading more poetry because it's so, mm. so when it's good girl is good and it's just so yeah. succinct and so brilliant and it helps you to develop better language right now I'm reading this, po- this poetry book called Black Girl Called Home <gasps>
0: Oh my God, it's so good. Jasmine Manns. Oh, yes, so good. I
1: got to like page five and I had to whip out my pen. I'm already taking notes and like writing essays. It's a perfect
0: I- companion piece for your book, actually. I hadn't, it, it hadn't occurred really to me until you just said that, but it is a really good companion.
1: I got yeah. you know what I got a ba- you know how I found out about that book this is so crazy so I was actually on my I so I my I got the James Baldwin Fellowship where um they awarded to like 12 black americans who write quote in the spirit of Baldwin so they fly you to France you stay for a month and you're um wow. you're supposed to be working on your work and you know they are even have somebody cooking for you and stuff so that you can really focus so dope I was excited and then COVID hit so I wasn't able to to do it right so we had to push it back a couple of years so by the time I was able to go which was in September um, my book was already done and then I didn't even have the capacity to stay for a full month because it's September and I got a kid so I was like listen I've been waiting let me just go for two weeks anyway so I was there and I ended up being a book reading like I just did like an international book reading they just set up different books for me readings for me I got some writing done but it was fantastic so one Day I was um and I took the I took a flight. Down, I was in Paris and then I took a flight down to the south of France and I went to like this perfume shop and I saw you know a group of black women and you know how we are whenever we are in spaces predominantly white spaces and we see each other from across the yeah. room it don't, t- it don't take nothing but a head nod and then we that's it we're like magnets so then now because I was by myself and it was with a crew and she was with you know a bunch of girls so we're just like talking and then um, she was like so what are you doing here so I told her I was here you know like the fellowship and the book reading she's like oh my friend just wrote this book she's like I can't believe I don't know the name and I was like you're a bad friend so we're laughing and joking and then like right before um, we we're about to leave she's a black girl called home that's what it is oh, so that's how I found out about that book and I was like oh my this is god dope.
0: I love that I love that well it's so so good I devoured that book it's uh, highly highly recommend I I'm, yay i
1: have to <laughs> a little bit on social media I need to connect with her because it's dope
0: yeah um are there any things about your reading life that you wish were different
1: I wish I had more time to do it. <laughs> I, yeah. I, it's Actually, I thought that I don't know if this is the case for just all writers, but I read so much slower because I'm always like, oh, my gosh, what a beautiful sentence structure. Oh, my gosh. You know, suddenly so I'm, like, I'm looking at the story. I'm thinking about what they're saying. I'm thinking about their wordplay. Like so it just makes me read slow. I don't know how to turn that part of my brain out. It's kind of like when, if someone was a director and they're watching movies. I don't think they watch it like you and I watch it. Right. So that's how I read books now. And it makes me it makes the pace a lot slower.
0: Hmm. And are there any you said you've been trying to read more widely, but are there any genres
1: that you're just like not into? Girl, um, for some, I, I can. I'm not into romance novels. Only my my freak, my girl. She's um, she, her name is um, Shemika Irby. She writes romance novels, and she is the only one that I would actually romance novels that I could read. I don't know if this counts as romance novels, but I'm a whisper, so nobody, so my mama don't hear me. But when I was little, I used to read Zane Honey. <laughs> oh, yeah. is that romance I that novel? Okay. I think so.
0: Okay. I think so I think people have said it. I I was never a romance person, and one of my goals this year is to try to just incorporate a little bit more romance into my reading life. And I sort of like it. I, I'm not as into the romance, but I am into the like quick the quick pace. I like that they just like mm-hmm. go, and I know where they're going, and it feels like a rom com. But I mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely a genre that I'm I'm trying to sort of learn more about because I know that it's really important and valuable and I know that it's so meaningful to so many women and that's why it's been shit on so much so I'm like let me go check mm. out what's going on over here but it, it's definitely as a nonfiction lover who likes investigative journalism and like murder it's definitely mm-hmm. a departure <laughs> for my reading life <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, what's your ideal reading setup if you're gonna have if you have all the time in the world to read? Where are you? What snacks and beverages do you have? Is it warm? Is it cold? Are you on the mm-hmm. beach? Are you in a blankie? Are you on an airplane? Are you in your bed? Set the scene.
1: So I have this thing when I'm reading and when I'm writing, which is very weird. Like when I'm writing, if I need to get in my zone, I don't care what season it is. I gotta throw It's like, it gotta be hoodie season. I throw on my hoodie. Like I actually need okay. to put my hood on because I need to, I guess it makes me feel like I'm in my cave or in my zone. And when I'm yes. reading, it's, it's similar. Like I love on my sofa, right? With my hoodie on, with my hot tea and my blanket just curled up on my couch. Like I'm not really like an in the bed reader. It's definitely like a sofa reader with a pen somewhere close to me because you know how we do, girl. We got to mark it up in the, in the margins <laughs> and stuff.
0: <laughs> what kind of de- tea are you drinking and how do you take your tea?
1: Oh, what a wonderful question. I like chamomile tea at night with just okay. some, some honey. And then I also like just green tea in the morning. I'm trying to be more of a tea person and less of a coffee person. So give me a gold star. I'm trying, Tracy.
0: Well, I'm not a coffee person at all. I only drink tea. I think coffee is nasty. Um, <laughs> and I'm very much a taste person so like if something doesn't taste good i don't want to have it so like i don't like a lot of alcohol because i don't like the taste of it so like if i can find a good cocktail i'm very in but if i can taste any alcohol i'm like i hate this and that's how i feel about coffee um so i don't it's not a moral judgment on coffee drinkers it's just a personal <laughs> taste thing but i love a black tea with sugar and milk like a creamy mm. sweet that's my go to
1: wait you're not a honey in tea type of girl
0: no i use sugar
1: oh the honey, I don't know. You. Sometimes the honey
0: makes a different, makes the tea taste different. I will put honey in chamomile because I think it enhances the flavor. But like honey mm-hmm. in an Earl Grey or an English breakfast, I think is weird. Like you get that weird like honey taste. It doesn't work for me.
1: Oh, I could, I could see that. I could totally see that.
0: Yeah, I take, I take my tea like, like a. Brit, like a British person. That's what they tell me. Like I I went to a tea shop once and I was, you know, it was like this huge tea shop. It had Florida ceiling, like tea tins. I'm talking to the guy and I'm telling him what I'm like. And he's like, oh, so you like sort of like a like more like col- col- colonizer blends and i was like excuse me oh i was like god. did you just call me a fucking colonizer i'll kill you i was like so offended by the way he said it <laughs> oh my god
1: like, I'm, I'm gonna need that person to use different language like I don't yeah want you to i was like anything
0: I think that's like maybe how they talk about it in tea. But I was literally like, well, you know what? I'm going to colonize walking the fuck out of this tea shop because you just called me fucking (laughs) Queen Elizabeth the first. And I hate it here. (laughs) I like turned to my friends and I was like, he just called me a colonizer. That's crazy. I don't even know what I would have said. I would have been so shocked. I was so shocked. But I also was like, you know what? I do. Like, I don't like green tea. I like the like, I like the like Earl. I don't know what it is, but that is what I like. So I couldn't even like be mad because he was right. But I also was like, I don't know. Say it different. Like, don't make me feel bad.
1: (laughs) Say it different. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, Do you have any favorite bookstores? Um. Mahogany Bookstore in D.C. is I, I really, oh, and Harriet's and Uncle mm-hmm. Bobby's in Philly. I love, 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 love like small, independent, like Black-owned bookstores. Like, yeah. I mean, Barnes and Nobles and stuff is fine, but give me like a really quaint, cute, like old school bookstores with like, you know, co- the smell of coffee in the background. That's me. Yeah. Uncle Have, Bobby's is do pretty ever, dope.
0: I've still never been to Uncle Bobby's, but Mark, Mark came on the show and he talked a lot about it on his episode and it was really nice to hear him talk about his uncle Bobby and and the show and the bookstore itself so it's mm-hmm. on my list when I get out there I want to go to there and Harriet's okay what's the last book that made you laugh
1: hmm this is such a good question um oh I think ironically it's Candace Be- you know Candace Marie Bembo right she has this book I, I love the title it's like for um for black girls who something for, for Black girls who considered tithing to the beauty supply store when the church wasn't enough. So, <laughs> so it's just wonderful. It's like, you know, she's a theologian, but she's a feminist theologian. And this is really brilliant. And I didn't expect to laugh in it. She's funny.
0: I love that. Um, what's the last book that made you cry?
1: The Movement Made Us. Mm. What's the last book that made you angry? It might have been, oh, gosh, I remember... I, I, there's probably others, but this one stands out because it still makes me angry and I read it years ago. Darnell Moore's No Ashes in the Fire. Oh, yeah. there's so much yeah. about that it just made me want to just fight people.
0: <laughs> uh, that book is so beautiful too. Gosh. It really is. Um, it really is. H- his love of his mom and her love of him just like still, mm-hmm. I think about it all the time. Um, what's the last book where you felt like you learned a lot?
1: Oh, you know what? Justin Tinsley's book, um, it was a book about uh, It Was All a Dream. He's such yeah. a, it's, it's not that I learned more about Biggie's life, but Justin is such a brilliant investigative journalist. Like, remember when mm-hmm. I said earlier about I read books differently now? So I'm reading the book and I'm like, this is wonderful how in depth he went with this interview and this subject. Like, he really helped me to think deeper and step my game up just as a, as a journalist.
0: Yeah. Ah, I love that book. I learned a lot. I'm from California. So Biggie was never really a part of my, like, world because I'm – I'm a little younger than you. And so I was only like 10 when he was killed, but I had an older brother. And so I knew like Tupac was much bigger in my consciousness. And so going back and reading that book, I was like, whoa, I didn't know any of this. Oh, um, wow! And I love that book. Yeah. Just, you know, like time and place when you're a kid, especially mm-hmm. like before the internet was really banging, like yeah. it, it determines so much about what you understood and like you know, I, I remember when I went to college and I was talking about E-40 and people were like, who? And I'm like, what are you saying? What do you mean, is like, <laughs> is E-40? And I was like, right. Not everybody's from Oakland. Like not Girl. everybody's going to have a feeling about a thiz face, you know?
1: <laughs> I, I am so embarrassed about my lack of knowledge about West Coast rappers. It took me a while. Like, you know what? I think I'm a little bit of a East Coast supremacist when it comes to like hip hop. So I've I, sure. I think we
0: all are like that. Like people from the South are always talking about like Memphis rappers and I'm just like I don't know, it's not for me. Yeah. Like it's just <laughs> we all have our it's like it's you know, it's like everything. It's like what you were raised on. Like sure I can appreciate it, but like there's something about too short that's just gonna do something yeah. different to me than it's gonna do for you. And I get that and I respect I that. I know, and meanwhile,
1: <laughs> I'm over here like what you mean Raekwan ain't still on your playlist,
0: huh? <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, <laughs> what's a book that you're proud to have read?
1: Oh, I think um, is it Cotton Candy in a Rainy Day with oh. it, it was this collection of poems by Nikki Giovanni. Oh.
0: Yeah. What's a book that you're embarrassed about never having read?
1: <sighs> Don't tell my business on the street, Tracy. If I tell you this, okay? Okay. So the Great Gatsby, you put that on your, your list, right? we were talking uh, about. I was like, girl, I ain't never, <laughs> I ain't never read that book in my life. I read it in school.
0: I really want to do it on the show. I got to find someone who will do it with me. But there's this whole theory that Jay Gatsby, who's like the lead, like the like rich guy, is passing for white really? he's a black guy passing for white in the 1920s There was like a th- school of thought about this and i really want to read the book on the show with that lens so i'm i just keep throwing it out to everyone like does anyone want to do this and everyone's <laughs> like no ma'am some, there, someone will do it with me i gotta find the right person but i just keep asking Aww. you know i'm like who knows someone will do it um what about a book you would assign to high school students
1: hmm. oh heavy like, I, I have it. I would assign that to high school students. Yeah. Okay. I think I just have
0: one more, which is, oh, I guess two more. What's a book that's influenced your professional career?
1: Um, Joan Morgan's When Chicken Heads Came Home to Roost. Like, she really yeah. showed me that there's a lane here.
0: And then here's my last one for you. Uh, if you could have, if you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would it be?
1: Right or Die. <laughs> right, of die. That's yeah. a for the well-being of black women.
0: Honestly. I love this. I love this energy. And
1: that's not just me being self-serving, right? Like I really do believe and know, like, you know, what the Kamaki River Collective stated, that like when you center the needs of some of the most marginalized in the community in the world, like you center everyone. So we all grow. Like center our needs, the needs of black women is gonna be a domino effect because our needs are not just our needs. So that was, I wouldn't just be being self-serving. Like I really want people to center us.
0: But even if you were just being self-serving, you wrote a whole ass book and Joe Biden needs to read it. Yes. Tell him Tracy. Both. For the reasons, but also for the self-serving reasons, because those reasons are important, too. And while you're at it, Joe Biden, listen to this podcast. Thank you. Talk about it. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, we're done for today, but you're going to be back on March 29th. We're discussing... Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. I'm so excited because you're such a good feminist. So I can't wait to hear about Bad Feminist. I haven't read the book, but you have. So I'm really excited to get to revisit it with you and for me to get to dive in for the first time.
1: I'm excited too. Thank you so much for having me and I'm looking forward to coming back. Thank you
0: for coming and everyone else. We will see you in the stacks. All right, y'all. That does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Shanita for being our guest. Remember, Shanita will be back on March 29th to discuss Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the Stacks Pack. And make sure that you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you listen through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at thestackspod on Instagram and at thestackspod underscore on Twitter, and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.